This Week on Art on the Air features documentary photographer Kamal X, whose new book, Black Astronaut, highlights his powerful images from the pandemic. Next, we have the founding member of the Chesterton-based improv troupe, The Trainwrecks, Daniel Dunavant, and troupe member Alina Pasilikas. Our spotlights on the German band who plays traditional Germantown band music at charity events throughout Northwest Indiana. Express yourself through art and show the world your heart. Express yourself through art and show the world your heart. You're in the know with Esther and Larry. Art on the air today. Stay in the know with Larry and Esther. Art on the air our way. Express yourself through art. And show the world your heart, express yourself you art, and show the world Welcome. You're listening to Art on the Air on Lakeshore Public Media, 89.1 FM, WVLP 103.1 FM, our weekly program covering the arts and arts events throughout Northwest Indiana and beyond. I'm Larry Breckner of New Perspectives Photography, right alongside here with Esther Golden of The Nest in Michigan City. Aloha, everyone. We're your hosts for Art on the Air. Art on the Air is supported by an Indiana Arts Commission Arts Project Grant, South Shore Arts, and the National Endowment for the Arts. Art on the Air is heard every Sunday at 7 p.m. on Lakeshore Public Media, 89.1 FM, also streaming live at lakeshorepublicmedia.org, and is available on Lakeshore Public Media's website as a podcast. Also heard on Friday at 11 a.m. and Monday at 5 p.m. on WVLP 103.1 FM, streaming live at wvlp.org, and Tuesdays at 4 p.m. on WDSO 88.3 FM. Our spotlight interviews are also heard Wednesdays on Lakeshore Public Media. Information about Art on the Air is available at our website, breck.com slash AOTA. That includes a complete show archive, spotlight interviews, plus our show is available on multiple podcast platforms, including NPR One. Please like us on Facebook, Art on the Air, WVLP, for information about upcoming shows and interviews. And we'd like to welcome to Art on the Air Spotlight. They are the German Band Incorporated in Northwest Indiana. They play all around at Oktoberfest and probably year-round they have a whole wide variety of things. And part of the people that are involved with that, they're going to talk about what they have coming up in the next month or so. It's uh, Robert and Kirsten Sturgeon. So welcome to Art on the Air Spotlight. Hello. We're so happy to have you. So the history of the German band goes way back. Can both of you tell us a bit about it? It was so interesting. Well, the uh, German band started uh, by a gentleman named Nick Holzmer, H-O-L-Z-M-E-R, in Hobart, Indiana. And he went to Hobart High School. And they didn't have a pep band in the high school. So he gathered up uh, four other people and called themselves the Hungry Five. Now, this is in the early 30s. Late 30s, early Late 30s, 40s. Yeah. And uh, started playing uh, at pep bands out of a number of books called the Hungry Five Books. It was for five people. And so he continued to play, and uh, they ended up getting some later hosen and decided to call themselves <laughs> um, the, the German band. And so they uh, would play at park venues, eventually uh, playing at park venues and parades in downtown Hobart and um, as part of the Rusty Pipes Hobart band. But they were actually an individual group and uh, they would play at the um, band shell down by the lake in Hobart. And uh, they would raise money for the Hobart Food Pantry 
because Nick Holtzmer and his wife, Joanne, both were very big supporters of the Hobart Food Pantry. So we would play there for an hour in a park uh, for a bit to raise canned goods and cash. Uh, and the band slowly grew from that point um, after we became involved. And you still support the food bank, correct? But Rob, didn't yes. I read that weren't uh, both, and I don't know if you're involved in this as well, Kristen, but um, didn't you bring in or bring back the later Hosen? Actually, I did. Um, <laughs> the band, uh, because the, the Nick said his knees looked terrible, so he didn't <laughs> want to wear a later Hosen. And so they wore black pants, white shirt, and a green vest that Joanne, his wife, made for the entire band. And I thought if we were going to be a German band, we should look like a German band. So I started wearing lederhosen because Chris and I both played in another group out of Kalamazoo, Michigan called Ein Prosit, and they all wore lederhosen and dirndls. So I just started wearing lederhosen to our performances in Hobart, and slowly it caught on with other people in the band. They liked the way it looked, so they would show up in lederhosen, but Nick refused to do it. He was not going to wear lederhosen, again, because he said his, <laughs> knees, his knees looked terrible. And uh, so I, I was kind of a standout in the, in the group um, and uh, helped the band a lot, uh, always um, because the band was getting up there in years. The, the individual members in the band, it was an all-male band at the time, a traditional town band would only have men playing. And one of the reasons why Nick wanted only men in the group, because we would rehearse in the back of Kellen's Florist Shop on Main Street in downtown Hobart. Nick Holtzmer owned Kellen's Florist Shop. We rehearsed in the back room where they would prepare the flowers. And the main reason why we did that was it had a walk-in cooler. And the cooler kept the beer at an optimum 50 degrees. <laughs> So we would rehearse every Monday night in the back room, and the fellows were getting older. Uh, one of the oldest members we had in our band was Gene Beckner, and he played tuba up until age 96. Passed Ooh. away at age 97. He was an amazing tuba yeah. player. He was one of the original Hungry Five. Um, he and Nick and uh, Jim Schwoko, I think Daryl Traeger, and then there was one other gentleman we didn't really know his name. Those were the original Hungry Five. Right. But but Jim Schwoko played in the band and in the German band until oh late nineties, early two thousands when he passed away. And Nick uh, played until oh my goodness, early two thousand tens. And he passed away about when he was ninety one. Right. And then Gene Beckner played until he was ninety six. Wow. So they played all the way most of their lives in the German band. Oh, Rob, oh, you gosh. played since early eighties. Yeah, early eighties. Okay, and uh, real quick, how many members are there in the band, like currently? And uh, what tell us a little bit about the Alphenhorns. We only have about a minute left, and maybe tell us about some of your upcoming dates. Well, we, when we're full staff, we really should have 24 players to cover all the parts. Um, but usually we're right between 17 and 20 people, uh, and including now women, too. 
because hard, hard, just hard to get players in general. Uh, the Alpenhorns, we started an Alphorn group in the band in 2016. And the Alphorn group also performs independently. We play at German Fest in Milwaukee. We play at Elkhorn, Wisconsin for Das Fest. But still, we are part of the German band, and we also raise money for the the Hobart Food Pantry. Go to the Facebook page. Yeah, that's what we want. Tell the Facebook page how you can get and reach you. It's the German band, comma, I-N-C, and all of the performance dates are listed there on the website or on the Facebook page. Excellent. So that's Robert and Kirsten Sturgeon from the German band. Thank you for being on Art in the Air Spotlight. All right. Thank, Thank you, you so much. And a Spotlight Extra, submissions for the $5,000 2023-24 Dixon Dance for Indiana Dancers aged between 10 and 20 years old are due October 27th. Applications and more information is available at dixonassociate.co. Art on the Air Spotlight and the complete one-hour program on Lakeshore Public Media is brought to you by Macaulay Real Estate in Valparaiso, Olga Patrician, Senior Broker. And as a reminder, if you'd like to have your event on Art on the Air Spotlight or have a longer feature interview, email us at aota at breck.com. That's aota at breck, B-R-E-C-H, dot com. This is Memorial Opera House Executive Director Megan Stoner, and you are listening to Art on the Air on Lakeshore Public Media 89.1 FM and on WVLP 103.1 FM. We would like to welcome Kamal X to Art on the Air. Kamal is a professional photographer that has been documenting his travels throughout the world since 2015. He creates images that evoke emotions rooted in the many universal elements of the human experience. His goal is to tell stories from all walks of life and give an unfiltered voice to the world we live in through compassion and honesty. He has a new book coming out soon, Black Astronaut, The Stars Belong to the People, a photographic essay in six parts, an epic journey through 13 cities and nine states over 120 weeks. Thank you for joining us on Art on the Air. Aloha and welcome, Kamal. It's so nice to meet you. Oh, man. Thank you so much. That was such a beautiful introduction. I really am smiling with my heart, honestly. So thank you guys for having me. I really appreciate the opportunity to connect with you guys and talk about what I love, which is art. So happy to be here. We appreciate you coming on uh, Art in the Air. And, I can't uh, wait to hear the origins of the book and your life. So so like we always like to start off is like finding out about you. I always like to find about like your what I call your origin story, where you grew up and early things. And even before you got into photography or early things, I always like to say how you got from where you were to where you are now. So Kamal, tell us all about yourself. Ooh, that's so much. Um, but I'm from originally from North New Jersey. Um, luckily, I my father growing up, the one of the things that we always used to do was go to the movies. That was like a huge, that was like the cream of the crop for me growing up, especially growing up in North New Jersey, where we didn't have a lot of opportunity to travel much and see a lot of things. So movies was a very big way for my imagination. Um, throughout the years and even in high school, I think like photography and just like visual things were a part of me, but I didn't realize it. Because I remember maybe actually like about four years ago, a friend of mine sent me an old school newspaper from St. Benedict's Prep, which is where I went to school. And I didn't and I wrote an article in it. I didn't even I forgot I was on the newspaper team. Like and if you would have known me in high school, you would not think I was. That's why I didn't even remember. Like, you know, so I think there was like little scatters of just like this creative energy that 
wanted to, I think documentary and just real things, even thinking about a real world on MTV. I'm not sure if you guys are familiar with that show, sure. but especially in the beginning when it was real, when it first started, I loved that show. I learned about so much. So I guess there was this documentary, like kind of like finding out about people, curiosity, always there, but it didn't, that, I guess, natural ability didn't reach a skill set of photography until like maybe in my mid twenties, no late twenties, actually. Um, I was in a big crossroads in my life um, and actually lost a really, really my best friend uh, um, to, to colon cancer. And it was a crossroads of, you know, at that time I was a, I was in real estate. I was a personal trainer and I was a life coach and I dropped not the real estate, but I dropped the other two because I just could not be of service to anyone anymore. And I decided to just travel the world with the idea of just dealing with the grief and getting closer with my friend that's no longer here in a different realm, if that made sense. Like every country I went to, I imagined he was coming with me, seeing things that I never got to see, seeing things that he never got to see. And in the midst of all that, somehow a camera got involved. I met people that were travelers with cameras and they looked at me crazy for having a, a, micro, a iPhone 4S. And I'm just like, what? They're like, they're like, what do you shoot with? And at that point, I didn't even know what that meant. It was like intimidating <laughs> to even be asked that. So they would show me their DSLR. And I remember one of my friends, she had a Canon 6D and she was explaining what full frame is. And she showed me a picture of what she took of this volcano that was erupting. And then I showed, she said, now look at yours. And I said, whoa. So <laughs> I immediately uh, brought a Nikon D3300, I believe it is. And the thing that I, I love about my journey with photography is that as I was finding healing and peace with the loss of my best friend, the camera was also with me the whole time. And it like became another avenue of exploration, of getting my emotions out, finding healing. And it became like like a co-created space of like healing, basically. So the photography that I the photographer I am now is very rooted in, like you said in the introduction, like real reality, um, things that people don't pay attention to, and ultimately things that move me because I found photography on from a professional or just at least starting it out from a very emotional, moving kind of place, if that makes sense. This is so interesting that the journey was kind of in honor of your friends. So how did you choose the countries that you visited? Um, The first one was, I actually had to find a tour because I didn't know anything about backpacking. Okay, this is this is not a part of my family tree. I didn't have no uncles or friends that did this. So I didn't know anything. So I found a company called Free and Easy that's in Canada. And they had like a 40-day tour through Cambodia, Laos, and Thailand. So Mm -hmm. I just was like, okay, I'll learn. I'll see if I like it. And I actually didn't like it that much because it was very difficult. The culture shock, um, not fitting in, um, the resourcefulness didn't come natural to me until like maybe the, the last third of the trip. And then I fell in love with it. And then from there, I just started exploring. Like I just started going to more places, more so in Asia in the beginning. And then I wanted something a little bit that I felt that was a little bit more challenging. And then I did like about five months in traveling through South and Central America. Mm -hmm. Um, And that was like the big 
oomph. Like that was like the, all right, I did these quick trips and now I want to really test myself. I have no guides. I have no, I'm going to a place where people don't speak English for the most part. That's not the main language. And I have my camera and that was literally my boot camp for photography. Like just going through the countries and just like all the, all that goes into that basically. Like a looking for it, curious, curious situations, I would say. I was going to ask you about the how you gained some of the mastery in photography because uh, a lot of your you, know, you say documentary, but it's also like very street photography oriented. But the technical aspects of it, you know, you just don't hand someone a DSLR and say, "Oh, here, here you go." <laughs> um, so tell us a little bit about that process of how you learned to master using that as a tool. It's one thing, it's, and maybe you have the basics of composition like already, like maybe you can take mm-hmm. your iPhone and do that. But, you know, tell us a little about your whole process of mastering that. I think the composition came from all the movie watching. I think it came mm-hmm. like second nature from all the movies. Um, the, mas- the mastery of the, the settings, though, actually have an interesting way I did this. I would go on Instagram. And if you go like the Sony Alpha, Canon, whatever those main pages are, oftentimes they show photos and they have all the F-stop aperture, all the stuff, the ISO, it's all there. They'll show you what settings they use to get that picture. So I started like testing myself, looking at photos and guessing what the settings were. And from like just doing that, it kind of helped me. So when I was in situations like, okay, if I want a photo to look like this, I need to start doing that. And from there, along with YouTube and then just, I guess I was, I feel like I was lucky that I was traveling because every day going to a different country, different city, it was like you always had something going on that was like, okay, let's test it on this. I was always around things that were very interesting in the beginning. So I think um, that combination of things really helped. But honestly, the IG, Instagram looking at settings, that, believe it or not, was like a big help for some reason. Because now to this day, if I look at a photo, I can kind of guess what settings were used. And it's like, I think it's helped me tremendously. That's in the great. beginning, anyway. Yeah, 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 learning the mastery of a DSLR uh, is, is something. And I know there's a, and I'll just tell this, is like my wife does photography also, but she is what I call a non-technical photographer. So she takes things, and then sometimes she says, well, I can't get that. And I said, well, that requires you to understand more about depth of field. And she'll go, well, I don't want to know that. But she has a great, <laughs> right, right. great eye for composition. And sometimes we'll go out and shoot things together, and she'll shoot things like, oh, I missed that. I got that. I was focusing. Yeah, that's so you're right, learning that by that. And also studying some of the other masters of photography, like uh, oh, the Art Wolfs definitely. and Rick Salmon and some of those, what I call generalists. Definitely. So. Definitely. And also going to film. I brought a film. I ba- I went backwards, put down the, D- the DSLR and brought a film camera, the Canon AE1. Right. Um, and went straight to and I, I forced myself for three months to just learn all the to just get to the, the root of it all. And that also further kind of gave me a, a different level of confidence in the field. And, you know, when I'm working. So choosing your subjects, are they do you just stumble across them or is there, and this may be a combination or do you have a plan? Like, do you say, okay, I'm going to go out and shoot this location. I know you did some things that kind of got you going during the black lives matter thing. Then that, that inspiration, but like now, like when you go out says, well, I'm going to, sh- I plan to go do this or shoot this or so sometimes just uh, serendipity. Um, for me now at this stage, I'm, I visualize everything before I shoot. Like before I even step out the how I know like what subject what I'm trying to what umbrella it's a wide net now. I don't keep it to the point where I'm just closing myself off, but 
I figure, and it's kind of like natural, like it'll come through like throughout the weeks or months, like things will keep coming to me. I'll be out and I'll notice certain things happening in the world and I see like a pattern and I'll say, this is an interesting thing. Maybe I should investigate what that means or put some real energy into like putting that in. So like the next project that I'm actually, I've already started on, this has been a question I've had for the past like two years, honestly. So, you know, it kind of like is a part of me before I start shooting now. Even the Black Lives Matter thing, that was a part of me before that happened because I remember looking at like civil when I was learning photography and looking at all the older photographers and the people that have been doing it and some of the greats that we've ever had during the civil rights movement, I would look at those photos and say, Oh man, like I, I hate that this has happened, but I don't know if I'm ever going to get an opportunity to take pictures like that. Will I ever be at a million man march? Will I ever, would that happen in today's America? I didn't know, but I always said if I ever had the opportunity, I would show up. So when everything happened in 2020, it was like, I already visualized having an opportunity and making sure I made the most out of it. So that's kind of the way I kind of move at this point. Yeah. You know, I was listening to one of your your podcasts was inspired by COVID because I was listening to your very first one. So tell us how COVID impacted you. You know, I listened to a little bit of that first one and, and, you know, bits and pieces of the other ones. But it's sort of, you know, some people were inspired by it and some people were isolated and kind of withdrew. Tell us how COVID impacted you. COVID isolated me and then it made me kind of like burst out the seams. (laughs) Like it kind of forced me to sit down. It forced me to really ask myself some very tough questions about where what I wanted my legacy to be, because um, I didn't know if I would make it through. No one, you know, I, and especially in the beginning, I was extremely afraid of COVID. So I honestly, in my mind, was like, "There's a big chance I I don't make it through this." And what do you makes you want question to- everything, doesn't it? <laughs> right. And I'm like, so I had to ask myself. So if this is it, what did you want out of this life for real? Without right, caring about real. what it looks like on paper, what people think about it, like this is just you. What do you want? And say it. And I remember, I, like, it was a day I sh- I turned off the TV, phones, all that stuff, and I just like literally just sat there with myself. And I decreed, basically, this is what I want. I want this. I want that. I want this. Like, I was as direct as I've ever been. Was it also where you want to be physically in the world? Like, because that, I mean, so many of my friends moved out of the country or moved across the country. Yeah, actually, I said family. I did bring up my family, being close to my family. My family's in New Jersey. And at that point, I was in Oakland, California. And once things cleared up, once my lease was up, actually, I I moved right back to New York. So that was also a thing, being closer with my family. Like it all wasn't, you know, career stuff. It was, it was everything, but I definitely took a, you know, the career thing was a big part because again, I I wanted to leave something. And I think making that decision, once opportunities arose, like I told you with me already wanting to do certain types of photos and things, and then having that moment of decreeing what I want, it was like, there was no choice, but to like go all the way and not be afraid of if you can get hurt, die, whatever can happen out there. It's like, you got to go all the way, man. Cause you made a promise to yourself and the opportunity has showed itself. Now, what are you going to do? You know, I know I listened to the quest Supreme as well. And I listened to a few on uh, where you talked specifically about your mother and, mm. and, um, and, but I wasn't clear as to whether you were realizing the influence at the time, or it was only in retrospect that you realized the lessons and you pulled from, you know, your time that you spend spent with her. She's, she's a puzzle, an amazing puzzle. So she, <laughs> she's always going to like, I, she's one of those people like, you'll figure it out. 
and then they'll realize, oh, she actually meant this also. Like she's a very one of the deepest people I know and says it so simply, you won't even it'll go over your it goes over my head anyway. And then it'll hit me like a year later or it'll, a moment will happen. And I think one of the biggest realizations also was just realizing how much I am like my mom, you know, and we are literally very close to the same person. And I think that was also very healing for me, too, and especially as an artist, because I, I found that the you kind of have to really go into yourself if you really want to get into these emotionally vulnerable spaces with other people, you ha- you can't go any further than you're willing to go with yourself. You can't yeah. recognize it when it shows itself. You might get uncomfortable. You might make other people uncomfortable because you're uncomfortable with it. So I, you know, I think having that peace with my mom and all that, I, I believe it, it's helped me tremendously as an artist and as an individual. Yeah, you speak very tenderly about her. There was like a, oh, yeah. you know, it was really beautiful. And so the, and I also listened to the very last one you did, and in in that one you intimated that is this the end of this particular podcast and like the Quest Supreme, and then you're going to move on possibly and do a different podcast. Yeah. So this is the the thing that kind of happened. So like a Quest Supreme was a part of a book that came. That was my first ever book. Um, and now Black Astronaut is out and I'm pl- I'm gearing up to start a new podcast called Black Astronaut. And I think I'm going to just do that with each project, like kind of like have a, I like it. a limited series based on the book. And it can kind of s- get into the story of, you know, everything happening. So, yeah, that's that's kind of what's happening. It's coming too. I, like tra- it's like in production. I really love the way you split the um the chapters are into like the parts and the, and the um, titles you gave them. So mm. how did you, can you sort of explain the genesis of black astronaut? Oh, black astronaut is. Oof. So as I was saying, it was a decision to go outside, you know, and the fear of dying. And I honestly, as I felt like I couldn't go halfway, I had to go all the way. So I had to accept the reality the way I think I have to accept the worst that can happen. And once I can do that, I can do anything. So I had to accept, like, I might die. Are you okay with this? And I, had to, and I really was like, this is worth it based on what I've seen and what people are going through, what we are going through. I want to have a voice in this. Um, and as I went outside and with all my protective gear and gloves and everything, because I'm afraid of everything, and it, the world seemed like a new, it didn't seem like the the America I knew. It seemed like a brand new, everything didn't make any sense. The world was upside down, it's- right? Well, and gosh, you go outside and there's nobody on the road. You're the no only car there. driving. It's right. just right. Woo, phenomenal. And then, and then you go to a, a a rally or a supermarket and people are fighting, pulling out guns. It's like, what is happening? There's no toilet paper. Um, so there was just so much happening um, that felt so irregular, irregular to me. And that's what inspired me to come up with the, the term, like calling it black astronaut, because I felt like if you think about what an astronaut is in terms of going into uh, uncomfortable places, everything around it, basically not familiar to the body. And not tethered, suit. you know? It's yeah. Like- yeah. And so I really felt like I was going on a, I was a man on a mission, basically fighting for whatever my vision was. And um, from that, it ended up, like it says, 120 weeks. It it just, it spiraled into, because I remember actually being at the verdict. I was in Minneapolis for the verdict of the George Floyd case. Mm-hmm. So at that point I had a question like, okay, is this it? Like, are you going to keep going? And my heart said, keep going. And then that spiraled into the vaccine, anti-vaccine thing that spiraled into women's rights, which is more recent. 
and then also the um, election. And I just felt like there's so much to this story that needs to be said that I don't want to, I don't think it's just, oh, Black Lives Matter. I think this is a, a bigger American story that needs to be unveiled. And, and it's more also what I'm experiencing more, more to be more honest. And, you know, that became such a, so many avenues that were all connected that I just wanted to like kind of create a concept too that would allow it to live in that space. You so, know, the, go ahead. No, no. So, so while you're doing this and you start out really afraid, at some point, did you become like, when did you start to relax in the, in I think the honestly, after the second week when I didn't get COVID, <laughs> like I remember <laughs> I would come back to the apartment and I would just be like, okay, like if I had a sniffle or anything, I would freak out, you know? And then once like it was never anything, I kind of like was like, all right, like you can, you can do it. And then when I got my, my vaccine shot, oh man, I was in the game at that point. Once that came, there was no stopping me at that point. But yeah, about that second week, that first week, every time I was just freaking out uh, every night, I was just like any sneeze or anything. Um, but again, it fe- it also felt very liberating too, at the same time the liberation of going outside and the feelings that I got while I was taking those photos was something I didn't expect. And it actually was something I, that was probably the greatest gift to be a part of that, to see that. And then also, yeah, to be a part of it, not just a witness, but a person that's to have a mission. With, yeah, definitely. Definitely. Kamal, tell us about any, uh, you said you're in development of a project, but uh, I guess I, I'll ask this two ways is whatever current project you're working on and something you haven't done, but you'd like to do down the road. Um, so the, the, right now I'm, I'm, I'm really dialed in on promoting black astronaut. I really want this project to reach as many people as possible. I think it's such a beautiful reflection and opportunity and an inspirational story also. Um, uh, but, in terms of what I'm, I'm kind of going the next project that I've, I've been kind of working on, it has to do with international matters. I'll say that, um, which kind of brings me back to a quest Supreme, but definitely more laser focused. I feel like a quest Supreme was just me traveling. It was raw. It was real. It was me learning photography on the fly. Um, and I feel like now I'm well into my voice and what I want to say so I want to do something that brings countries together in a way and shows the similarities in the separation. I, I can't tell you which countries yet because I feel like I got to keep some of that a secret. But sure. it's been pretty interesting doing it because there's from traveling so much, I have seen things that actually are very similar that I think a lot of people will be surprised about. So that's kind of where I'm going. And I've never really laser focused anything internationally before. And have you done exhibiting at all? I've actually taken your, you know, besides doing the book, but actually done art exhibits with your work. Oh uh, yeah, like I, I even have one coming up um, in San Francisco at one one eleven uh, Mina in San Francisco. Um, I've had a couple of gallery exhibits. Um, also, another one was Lens Culture in New York about a couple of years ago. Um, and then I got into real business mode with getting Black Astronaut like published and. You know, I've been in lit tunnel vision for that. So I'm actually looking forward to a lot more uh, ex- exhibitions and gallery opportunities now that I'm on the other end of the book coming out, you know, because yeah. I think there's a lot that a lot of people, I think people will really get a lot out of the imagery of this book. 
Right. I think that it would make an excellent exhibit. Right. For sure. How long does the San Francisco exhibit last? Um, I believe it's going to be for, if I'm not mistaken, eight weeks. Perfect. I believe eight weeks. Yeah, yeah. For sure. Well, unfortunately, we're going to have to wrap it up pretty quick here. But we, Kamal, we want to give you a chance to uh, tell us about how people can find your work, uh, when the book uh, is like on the verge of coming out. I know it's pre-order on Amazon, but tell us all about how people can find you online and everything else. Yeah, the best way to find me Instagram, I am Kamal X, simply spelled Kamal, K-A-M-A-L-X. Um, I have all my links there. My website is also IamKamalX.com. You can also purchase the book it's it'll be available october 24th on amazon it's the best way to get it black astronaut kamal x it comes up you'll see me with a big yellow x on the cover of it <laughs> can't miss it um and any support goes a long way i appreciate everyone for even listening and hearing me out um, i really believe that we are in this together and i'm thankful for the space that we're creating Welcome, all X. We are so happy to have you part of the show. Self-talk uh, documentary photographer. He's based in Brooklyn right now, and his book coming out, Black Astronaut, which you can find on Amazon, coming out very shortly. And uh, you can also hear his podcast. Kamal X, thank you so much for coming on Art on the Air. Yeah, it's a, it's a beautiful offering. Thank you. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much. Appreciate you guys. Art on the Air listeners, do you have a suggestion for a possible guest on our show, whether it's an artist, musician, author, gallery, theater, concert, or some other artistic endeavor that you are aware of, or a topic of interest to our listeners. Email us at aota at breck.com. That's aota at breck, B-R-E-C-H, dot com. Hi, this is singer-songwriter Kenny White, and you are listening to Art on the Air, Lakeshore Public Radio 89.1 FM, and on WVLP 103.1 FM. We would like to welcome Elena Vasilikas and Daniel Dunavent from the improv troupe Trainwrecks to Art on the Air. Elena started singing and performing at a young age with a strong interest in acting and comedy. She studied improv at Second City Chicago. She believes everyone should take the chance and live their passion no matter the form. Daniel is a web developer by day and part of the improv troupe Trainwrecks outside work. He does impersonations like stand-up comedy and can mimic many voices. Thank you both for joining us on Art on the Air. Aloha and welcome, Elena and Daniel. Hello, hello. Oh, thank you. Welcome. Well, Daniel, we'll start again with you, and uh, we want to get your kind of origin story before we talk about the train wrecks a little bit. Uh, I always like to say how you got from where you were to are now. So, more like uh, where you grew up, where uh, born, and you know how you got to do what you're doing now. Before we get into improv, well, uh, I would say you know. Maybe my inspiration for getting into it is not being able to remember things. <laughs> so when you don't remember things, you got to make things up. And I did that a lot. Um, make up things that certain actors would say, like um, uh, the that one movie, the British movie, uh, the what do you call it? It's the Knights of the Holy Grail and. I, oh, Monty I Python? Love Monty that. Python, yeah. Yeah, Monty Python. Uh, I just loved that stuff growing up. And, uh, and well, I had to make up a lot of answers on tests. I wasn't that good at that. <laughs> <laughs> Multiple choice guy. And where, where were you born and where are you from that way? Uh, just your origin story. I'm from uh, Valparaiso. And uh, then I went to Emmanuel, then went to VHS. 
Um, so all Valparaiso and then schooling at Ivy Tech Community College, also Valparaiso. Stayed local and, um, and then eventually found uh, the train wrecks in Chesterton because a friend of mine, uh, Jacob, Jacob Reed. So tell us just a little bit outside of uh, improv, because we'll go more into that later, what you do to uh, you know, pay the bills. Yeah, I'm a web designer. I, I make the website from bottom up. I do the database and the look of it. They hand me a design, and I just make it happen. I build it. I'm like the construction worker of, of the website <laughs> world in a certain way. And uh, since I do a little bit of a web stuff, uh, what do you use now? Uh, what tools? I use PHP and uh, HTML, CSS, that sort of stuff. And I like Atom Editor. I don't know if you know that one, but it's it's no longer uh, getting updates. But, um, yeah, PHP is the main language. Okay. Well, well, while I know my first website I did on HTML itself, I uh, I still use the old old front page to do my uh, very basic websites, but it still works. So until I upgrade to probably Windows 12 when it comes out. So, well, we'll move on to Elena. Uh, Elena, let's hear about your origin story, like where you grew up and whole things before we get into improv. So, tell us all about yourself. How you got from where you were to where you are now? Yeah. So uh, I'm originally from Chicago. Uh, born and raised, uh, come from a Greek and Italian family. And uh, so we, we moved to Northwest Indiana uh, many moons ago. And um, so a lot of my friends like to say, well, you know, you're, you're a Hoosier, you're a grandfather then, but uh, I still <laughs> self-identify as a Chicagoan. Um, and uh, so I attended uh, majority of my schooling in uh, Maryville, Indiana, graduated from Maryville High School. And at, at that time, uh, I started doing uh, theater in the high school. And uh, prior to that, I have to go back a little bit. Um, so this is not Larry and I, our first rodeo and me, <laughs> meeting Larry for the first time. And, and this is how wonderful the universe works. So the year was 1995. Sorry, Larry, I had to admit that. Um, and uh, my sister had said, you know, you, you like acting and, and improv. And my inspiration actually for acting and, and improv goes way back to my exposure to Jerry Lewis and to Mel Brooks. Uh, I was exposed to that through my father, who uh, very much liked their comedy. And so she had found that uh, they were having improv classes for uh, the age bracket I was at the time and uh, through out of the, the Munster um, Performing Arts. And... Who were my instructors? Larry and his beloved wife. Um, so there you go. <laughs> the, that's where it started. That's where it started for me. And so uh, in high school, I did some theater there. And then uh, I attended Columbia College for a few years, came back to uh, Northwest Indiana, uh, Indiana University Northwest, and finished a degree there in theater, uh, theater Northwest. And then from there, went to Second City, Chicago, uh, where I did some more improv. And then fast forward to 2023, the magical year, um, I was at an event that I was invited to and, you know, just scanning the room and what have you. And I came across this young man who I recognized immediately and said, oh, my gosh, 
that was my original improv instructor. Can you believe it after all these years? <laughs> so, of course, I, I, I go up to him, introduce myself, and, you know, part of that because I didn't want to seem completely uh, weird. Um, and I says, so if you don't mind me asking, did you ever teach improv uh, back in the 1900s? And uh, he said, yes, I did. I said, you were my instructor. He goes, you remember me? I says, I sure did. You know, sure do. And never forget a face. So that's my story. And, and so I'm going to move forward to, to with the train wrecks. Uh, November of 2021, I went to, I attended one of their shows and I introduced myself after the show and said, you know, I, I love their performance and came to talking to Daniel and Ed. And at that time I had actually signed up for an improv course in, in Chesterton. They were uh, teaching out of there, the, the same place, the yoga studio that uh, train wrecks was having their performances. So kind of one thing leads to another and um, Ed had said, hey, why don't you come to one of our practices? And I was like, okay, that, that would be awesome. And, and that's that was my way of uh, kind of getting into the train wrecks. Well, how about early, early? So in elementary school, were you doing plays or doing performances at home? Middle right. school, so, high school? Yeah. yeah. Um, so let's go way back. So way I back. am way back. Um, so I'm the youngest out of four children. And the eldest and I are 16 years apart. I was the... Oops. Oh, well, that was unexpected. Okay. Um, so I was raised around this older generation uh, and exposed to the older comedians. And I really, again, I fell in love with, with Jerry Lewis and how he would perform. And um, so this his whole time, body language was so exciting. You it, know? it was. I mean, he was a comedic genius. Yeah. Um, that's just my opinion. And um, so what I would do at these family events, family functions is, you know, I'm a five-year-old little child and, you know, my siblings at this point are in their early 20s and teenage years and never really fit in in that regard. So I would just stay quiet and do a lot of observing. And part of that was observing their, their behaviors. And next thing you know, I'm a little bit older and I just started to uh, imitate certain relatives. Not thinking that that's what I'm doing, I just kind of did that. And um, that's kind of how it started was through that mimicry and through that, that imitation. And I've, I've been that way ever since I was a child. I just kind of pick up certain behaviors. So then for, we got to go back to when Larry and his, his wife were uh, my teachers for the first improv that I took. Um, his wife had, you know, had said, well, kind of like what you're asking. How'd you ever get into this? What made you interested? And I said, well, I like imitating people. Uh, that was part of it. She says, well, she says, can you do me a favor? Can you imitate Larry? And I was like, <laughs> oh, will I get in trouble? You know, I was <laughs> kid all myself. And so I did. And I remember they're standing next to each other watching me. And Larry goes, I actually do that, don't I? <laughs> 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 And that's that's originally how it how it all got uh, started. And it really is a passion of mine. I, I do. Um, so did uh, your did your family support it? So you're at the kitchen table and you're imitating yeah. an auntie or something. It's you know? funny because my mother initially did not. She'd say that's disrespectful. Um, but the persons or people that I was imitating, they got a kick out of it. And being, you know, from a Greek Italian family, we all got these big personalities. 
And, um, you know, my mother was like, just don't disrespect your relatives. And they were just, oh, my God, you know, she really knows how to know. Um, so for me, that was uh, my father was was a great supporter too. both of my parents really supported me in, in any type of creative arts. Uh, I, I come from a creative artistic family. Um, both of my parents, my f- father came from Greece in the 1960s, uh, met my mother at the Academy of Art. Um, so their their creative outlet was drawing and arts. I, I draw stick people. And um, that's as far as my gift <laughs> or at least came over. <laughs> but this this is kind of my this is my creative outlet. And aside from that, I also enjoy uh, singing. Just as a side note, Alina, that was the first improv class we taught solo. I mean, we we taught improv as part of like theater, so to speak. But that's yeah. when the first class we said, well, let's actually do a class in improv. So you were in the first premiere class that we did as improv. So that's awesome. And I'm back, Larry. Okay. Good. I don't know. If that's I don't know. Yeah, that's it's stuck. Let's say it's, it's how, stuck. How far did you go through the Second City? Through you went to the training academy? Did you go? Yeah, I didn't complete the the, the whole uh, academy. I just went for a few of the classes okay. uh, because then at that time I had finished college and it was, well, I guess I need to make money, you know. Um, so what I do for my nine to five job is uh, I'm an executive assistant. You're listening to Art on the Air on Lakeshore Public Media, 89.1 FM on WVLP, 103.1 FM. So, Daniel, let's go back to how the founding of Trainwrecks happened. It was a spinoff from some other group, or you guys were involved in something. So tell us a little bit about the history of how uh, Trainwrecks came to be. Yeah, so it started sort of in 2018. Not Trainwrecks, but uh, the uh, Nine Bad Basses. So the Nine Bad Basses was part of Disposable Theater, and uh, now, at the time, I was not in the group. Jacob was in that group, and he told me about an improv class over at East Wind Studios, uh, which is now Essential Wind Studios. Uh, but uh, so he told me about that. I took a class, and uh, that was maybe just a 12 week course. And then the coach of that team, the Nine Bad Basses, uh, asked me, well, how would you like to be part of uh, the Nine Bad Basses team? I was like, all right, I'll give it a shot. You know, this is fun, so why not? Uh, And I stuck with it since. Um, And it was uh, 2021 where we decided that we would basically make our own improv troupe outside of disposable theater and since we started there at east winds where there's practically a train going by every 15 (laughs) minutes a loud one (laughs) a loud one Mm -hmm. uh it uh we were like uh the train wrecks It nearly happened every show. There's a train that comes by and it would shake the floor and we would go like we would shake ourselves to, you know, pretend like it's moving us. But so uh, that was the uh, the birth of train wrecks over at uh, 2021 at Eastwind Studios. And uh, 
since then we've been pretty consistent about having a show right around every month but sometimes we miss a few months take a break breathe commitments etc but yeah that that brings us to today so with an improv troupe are there rehearsals absolutely and it's it's so essential to practice making stuff up. <laughs> it does yeah, to be comfortable make... with the dynamic between each of the participants. Right, right, and it, it, that that's definitely one hundred percent part of it. Um, and it it took us time to you know integrate Elena into the group and Mary Jane and Tim into the group because everyone brings a different energy and. They bring different characters, so um, uh, that that did take it takes time to make that work. And then on top of it, we practice the game structure for each show. So we might do different games for a show. We might practice performing a song for a show, um, which I which I did for one, which was that's a lot of work to make <laughs> sure you have all the materials or even have it all memorized and that's really a challenge but but yeah it's it's a lot of work well tell us some of the principles of uh, and either one of you want to jump in on this or both of you some of the principles of improv how it works for an audience that may not know about it like how you know what are some of the basics that you have to do in terms of the handoffs and things like that so whichever one of you want to pick that up elena do you want to take it Yes, and. All right, there you go. <laughs> so that's that's one of the principal rules we go by is yes, and. So um, at least how I was taught through the years is when you're when you're working a scene with someone, you want to present uh, as you're presenting, or um, you want to keep the flow of that energy going between you, and so you and, and your partner essentially. So. Let's say they're they're talking. To Daniel, can I? You know, we the best way to do it is to do it, is to show it. But um, oh. to to agree, and mm-hmm. then yes, and and then you continue on. Maybe um, that's a good point to have you do that right now, and then maybe talk about it afterwards. So go in, go up and set up a, a situation. I know your Second City used to at their uh, last show of the evening. We sometimes would take a uh, audience suggestions and everything. But uh, so you had one you were doing off uh, mic. But let's let's take a thing like the back to the one you said about going to Disney or something like that. Yes, uh, Elena, I I have a problem. Yes, um, I'm really uncomfortable with with all the. Men in suit at Disney. Now we we talked about this. Remember what what the therapist said. Now it's just right. a phobia, okay? Right. right. I, I, and I mean, I know there are real people in there, but I just can't help but thinking, oh, how horrible it is on a hot summer day, and <laughs> I, I, it's yeah. so sweaty. I, I know. I mean, now for me, you know me, the, the yeah. smell alone. Yes. That's what bothers me, you know, from the inside. And the and idea of it. <laughs> and yes. your allergies to the mold, the black mold involved. It, but uh, we're going to get through it. We're going to go there. And at least we don't have to be in the suits, but. 
This is very true. And and, rem- and remember, mm-hmm. we could bring the wipes. <laughs> and I got wow. stocks. I got tons of wipes. I'm known as the wipe girl. And hand those out, especially when someone wants to shake your hand. So that's a start. Yes, yes. And we can even offer them to the, the people in the suits. So, you know, I feel a lot better about it now, Elena. Thank you. Okay, so and the next question is going to, what's the exit strategy? When you get to a point, you, we kind of did it there, but when do you think, okay, uh, this bit is over. How do I hand off to something different or a completely different scene or a, quote, blackout? A blackout is very famous in improv. Yeah, how do we know it's over? Um, it, it can be tied up nicely. The, the problem does get resolved in that case. Um, we either end on a problem that's resolved or something that's funny. And then it's like, okay, it's not going to get better than that and scene. What do you think, Elena? Yeah, I was going to say either, you know, we have the lights set up. Uh, we used to do a lot of, you know, the blackouts or we'll, or we'll start laughing with and scene. And then that, right. that gets a laugh from the audience. I think they enjoy that. So. I yeah. think I saw one of yours where somebody said, I think we've gotten all of the, out of that that we can. Let's, uh, <laughs> let's just move <laughs> And we're done. And right. we're done. <laughs> and doing tag improv where you tell someone to freeze and you pick it up and go a completely different direction. Tell us a little bit about how that works. Oh, man. Yeah, that you know, for freeze, I like freeze because that one is all about where your hands and feet are so you got to really embody where you're at in the scene and then say your hands are up in the air and you're you're holding up Simba the baby um it's the circle of life but then it morphs into freeze uh goal you're suddenly <laughs> at a football field uh in 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 Spain or wherever in Europe, <laughs> you know, it, you can go anywhere with it, and it's yeah, uh, it's a good transition. So with train wrecks, uh, you have you don't have anything currently coming up and uh, everything like in the next little bit. But what vision do you have for train wrecks down the road? You know, in terms of maybe larger performance spaces and expanded repertoire. Tell us maybe how long a, an improv like if someone comes to see an evening of improv, how long that would be. Well. So for a typical show, it would be an hour and 15 minutes. And I would say I want to go to bigger venues and I want to share those laughs. And um, I I really enjoy doing it. So the more people I can share those laughs with, the better. Could be Chicago, could be uh, uh, more local at bigger venues. Are you looking for any more people to join the troupe? I know that you don't want to get it to be too large because then, you know, it's, uh, you, I think you're, what, about six people right now. But, but also, do you provide a training ground for other people to, to do that? And then maybe they can either su- do another group or maybe become a branch group, kind of like Second City has their branch groups. Right. We're definitely open to that. And we are, we are looking for potentially two other people so that we can just have some backups. Um, and, and maybe, like you said, start a different troupe, like you're saying. Well, we're almost ready to wrap it up here. So tell us just briefly how people can find out information about what the train wrecks is doing. Well, what you can do is go to the Facebook, the train wrecks, and there is 
also, well, let me spell it out for you, The Trainwrecks, R-E-X, and then there's Trainwrecks Productions on Instagram. So, but if you really want to show, it's, it's all on our Facebook. And so if someone wants to actually book you guys for a show, they can contact you also. Yes, yes. Shoot us a message there and absolutely Perfect. happy to be booked. Well, we appreciate you coming on Art in the Air. Daniel and Elena from The Trainwrecks, we appreciate you coming on the show, sharing all about that little improv group here in Chesterton, Indiana. And uh, like I always say in theater, break a leg. Thank, Thank you. you so much. Thank you so much Thank for you. having us on. <laughs> We'd like to thank our guests this week on Art on the Air, our weekly program covering the arts and arts events throughout Northwest Indiana and beyond. Art on the Air is heard Sunday at 7 p.m. on Lakeshore Public Media, 89.1 FM, also streaming live at lakeshorepublicmedia.org, and is available on Lakeshore Public Media's website as a podcast. Art on the Air is also heard Friday at 11 a.m. and Monday at 5 p.m. on WVLP, 103.1 FM, streaming live at wvlp.org. Our spotlight interviews are heard every Wednesday on Lakeshore Public Media. Thanks to Tom Maloney, Vice President of Radio Operation for Lakeshore Public Media, and Greg Kovach, WVLP's Station Manager. Our theme music is by Billy Foster with a vocal by Renee Foster. Art on the Air is supported by an Indiana Arts Commission Arts Project Grant, South Shore Arts, and the National Endowment for the Arts. We'd like to thank our current underwriters for Lakeshore Public Media, Macaulay Real Estate in Valparaiso, Olga Patrician, Senior Broker. And for WVLP, Walt Reitinger of Paragon Investments. So we may continue to bring you Art in the Air. We rely on you, our listeners and underwriters, for ongoing financial support. If you're looking to support Art on the Air, we have information on our website at breck.com AOTA, where you can find out how to become a supporter or underwriter of our program in whatever amount you are able. And like I say every week, don't give till it hurts. Give till it feels good. You'll feel so good about supporting Art on the Air. If you're interested in being a guest or send us information about your arts, arts-related event or exhibit, please email us at aota at breck.com. That's aota at breck, B-R-E-C-H dot com, or contact us through our Facebook page. Your hosts were Larry Breckner and Esther Golden, and we invite you back next week for another episode of Art on the Air. Aloha, everyone. Have a splendid week. Express yourself through art and show the world your heart. Express yourself through art and show the world your heart. You're in the know with Esther and Larry. Art on the air today. Stay in the know with Larry and Esther. Art on the air our way. Express yourself through art. And show the world your heart, express yourself through art, and show the world your heart.